Let's pray. Father, you are good. Um, you give us the ability to thrive during persecution in scary times. I know it's frightening for many of us, fearful or worrisome, but you are God and you are in control and you give us a responsibility to love you and to love others. I pray that today that you'd give us wisdom, that you would open up our minds to understand. Father, that you would open up our hearts to be focused on you with fertile soil, feet that want to run towards obedience, Father. Ears to hear, eyes to see. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys okay? You good? Good. All right. So throughout my study, um, I didn't see an author on this, but it's not original for me. So this next paragraph is not, um, not me. It was one author that I couldn't find the, um, the name for. So um, in reference to James 3, those, who li- uh, those whose lives are based on and motivated by human ungodly wisdom are inevitably self-centered, living in a world in which their own personal ideas, desires, and statements are the measure of everything. Whatever and whoever serves those ends is considered good and friendly. Whatever and whoever threatens those ends is considered bad and an enemy. Those who are engulfed in self-serving wisdom, worldly wisdom, resents um, anyone or anything that comes between them and their own objectives. Do you guys see any of that today in this world? Worldly wisdom that opposes people who get in their way that's so competitive. Um, I, was, I was extremely competitive growing up. And I was competitive because that affirmation was all about me and made me feel like I had purpose. Much of my time growing up, my affirmation was in my success rather than who I was in Christ. And my big buddy Justin, many of you guys know him, Justin Rains, we always, we always competed and, and I loved him and I love him to this day. But um, he was such a big teddy bear, and I would just take advantage of him all the time, and because um, I wanted it to all be about me. So one time, um, Justin, um, six, seven, three bills, three bills plus in high school. So um, he he tells me the story. I don't remember it. He said I went to the IGA, bought um, I bought some Krispy Kremes, a 12 pack sat down in my kitchen, and I ate the whole 12-pack in front of him. Didn't give him one. And then I went back down as I laughed, grabbed another 12-pack, came back down, sat right in front of his face, had 11 of them, gave him one. There was this competitive nature that was all about me. See, it was worldly wisdom that I thought it was funny. I thought it was funny to make him suffer or just to be mean. So one day at track practice, and don't you wish, I wish today I could eat one donut without gaining weight. You know, that was 23 donuts and I was still good. Either way, we're at track practice and we would run two laps for our warm-up. So Justin came around after his, um, after his first warm-up lap, I was stretching or something, and he said, Hey, man, I'm going to beat you. I said, no, you're not. So I sprint two laps to beat him because competitiveness and winning and everything being all about me so that I could brag to him that I'm better than him and, and more athletic than him and better in shape than him. That wasn't godly wisdom. That was worldly wisdom. See, and now part, now... I'm a part of his testimony of things that he had to persevere through. (laughs) I'm serious. I've been at kids' camps uh, where he's asked me to speak, and and I thought I was loving him and he understood me and all these things, but in reality, I didn't realize the damage that I was doing because of my self-centered wisdom. I've been at kids' camps 
or his youth camps where he's like, hey, by the way, this is Joey. And then everyone's like, oh, that's Joey. (laughs) And then he goes into a story, yes, this is the Joey that ate two dozen donuts in front of me. This is the Joey who invited me to fair and then made me sleep in the barn. (laughs) Like, self-centered worldly wisdom. And I'm happy that God has changed my heart from that. Sounds funny, but, but it's not. I mean, that's not God's heart. And if I could do it over, I'd do it differently. So James now is gonna give us two types of wisdom. Wisdom that comes, um, wisdom that God desires is wisdom that comes from him. So that's one of the wisdoms he's gonna give us. And then there's wisdom that comes from the world that opposes God and creates chaos for us. Anyone ever dabbled in that type of wisdom? A couple of you. Well, then I'm gonna, yeah, you guys aren't wise then because you're um, unwilling to admit that you lack wisdom. So here in James chapter three, verse 13, James presents an aorist imperative. Aorist meaning simple, imperative meaning command. James is giving us a command to start right now. So what he's gonna say is this, is when he gets into the scripture, he's saying, hey, start right now. Right now, do it. And that's for you and I today. After we read the scripture, we are to start right now. And every time I look at my friend Ben back there, I feel like he's getting ready to go hunting. (laughs) I love you, Ben, (laughs) every time. I had a fun time with breakfast this week, too. But um, if I didn't say it, then I, I'd have to just keep on thinking about you sitting in a tree stand. So. so James is saying, start this right now. So here we are, James 3, verse 13, if you have your Bibles. It's also on the Bible app. You can find it there as well. Here it is. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. So James asks his audience, who do you think is wise among you? Who do you think is wise and understanding? So let's laugh at our honesty in the room for a moment. Who in here thinks there's wise and understanding? Raise your hand. Let's just be honest. Look, I think we all lie if there's some, like, there's some rooms that I walk out of that I think I'm the smartest individual in there, right? I think that I'm wise and of understanding. That's what I'm asking. Let's laugh at our honesty. I'm admitting that some rooms that I leave, I think that I'm the smartest person in there. Anyone ever feel like they're wise and of understanding? (laughs) Yeah, dad better be raising both hands. He might want to be the, he could be the president. I mean, he could be the governor of Woodstock. I mean, fair board, designer of campers, designer at Honda. He, he could do everything, I tell you what. Just, just ask him after church. <laughs> you know what? We can give you time to respond, too. <laughs> I love my dad. You guys should know that, so easy picking on him. And um, he's going he's gonna to tell me what I could do better after church as well. He could also be the pastor of the church. <laughs> so our guest speaker today. All right. We all have this idea within us that, that we, we have the wisdom and the understanding to change the world. So what James wasn't proposing, or so James wasn't proposing this as a question to say that no one had wisdom. Why he's proposing this is so that we can self-evaluate where we are. He proposes the question so that it triggers something in us to say, are we using godly wisdom or are we using earthly wisdom? Are you proving your godly wisdom by your works done in meekness is my question to you. Are you proving your worldly wisdom by not doing works 
or doing them with pride? What are you doing? Where's your wisdom coming from? When you become a new creation and submit your life to Christ, you gain access to God's wisdom. But just because you gain access doesn't mean that you're operating in it. You gain access to the meekness that is required, yet meekness must also be applied. So James tells us that people with wisdom should do this, or what they should do. James makes a statement that then reveals the heart of those who answer. If you think that you are wise and, and understanding, don't show it by what you know. Don't show it by, by the word that you just understand. Don't show it by just having lip service. But he says this, show it with works and good, good conduct with meekness of wisdom. So James is still reiterating as if he hasn't already um, said it enough. Works. Heavenly wisdom has works. Do you see him saying it again? But now he's maybe taking it a little bit further. He's saying not only does heavenly wisdom have works, but heavenly wisdom does works with meekness. Therefore, um, meekness, or, no, here we go. James reiterated this in James chapter two, right? Faith without works is dead. Godly wisdom is not wisdom just to have it. Godly wisdom isn't there so that you can feel like you have a power. You guys realize that? We get all this wisdom, then we feel really special about ourselves, and we make it all about ourselves. Godly wisdom's not there so that you can feel like you are the most anointed person in the room. It is there to help us understand him. That's what godly wisdom's for. Godly wisdom's there to help us love him and to love others. Godly wisdom is given to us to further the kingdom. And godly wisdom shows itself in action and attitudes. Right? Action and attitudes. The way that you step out in faith to follow him. The way that you dance and praise God unashamedly downtown Mechanicsburg. The way that you join in prayer groups to pray to Jesus Christ in prayer groups. Standing in the gap for our little village and your villages and our nation and our state. In action and in attitudes. We are to have meekness, which is mildness in disposition and gentleness of spirit. Therefore, in your actions with others, are you showing godly wisdom? with a gentle spirit, or are you being a bully? There's a difference. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is power under God's control. James is telling us to take immediate action with gentleness that will show our godly wisdom. That's really tough because um, you know, specifically men, we can find ways to get our way. And one of the, not most accused, but probably top five is men are manipulative. And um, John Maxwell in one of his books said this, it had nothing to do with marriage, but it meant everything. The, the main thing I got out of this book was he said, um, one day his wife told him, John, um, you might be winning the argument, but you're losing my heart. And that made me think of every time that I've used spiritual gifting and scripture and my ability as a leader to put Macy in weird positions, right? You might be, uh, clearly just a tangent, hopefully spirit-led, you might be winning the argument, but you're losing my heart. 
spouses, husband or wife, be careful that your goal is not to win the argument, but to continually win the heart of your spouse and lead them to Christ. Amen? Be gentle. Gentleness is not, or manipulativeness is not gentle. It's tough because I want to get my way. When I see someone so close to giving their life to Christ, I just want to keep on going and going and going, and then thoughts come to my mind. And then what I've realized in the past is I've stepped into the Holy Spirit's way because of a burden. I wasn't, I wasn't revealing gentleness and meekness. What I was revealing is me thinking that I'm the Holy Spirit, and then I became a bully. Anyone else ever been there with kids, with people you've seen on the street? What, what James is trying to tell us is godly wisdom is meek. It's patient. It's just not about me forcing people to give their life to Christ. I talked to someone several years ago and they said, my, um, I was talking with my spouse last night and I knew that she wasn't a believer. So we said it was a battle to force her to say the words. But finally, by the end of the night, she said the words and now she's saved. Oh, you think she's saved? Because you, because she said the words because you were so manipulative and bullying that she got tired of it that she just said, you know what, yeah, Jesus Christ is Lord over my life. Meekness provides space for God to move rather than you just getting the answer that you want. I wonder if every time we push past meekness in conversation, if we are trying to do the Holy Spirit's job. In the coming verses, James is going to contrast worldly wisdom with godly wisdom. So he's going to show us the motivation of wisdom, the characteristics of worldly wisdom, the results of false religion, and the characteristics of godly wisdom. So over the next four verses, we're going to go through that. So as we continue in verse 14, James uses the word but, implying a contrast is coming. So as you read the Bible and you see the buts um, and the contrast they present, so when you see the buts, the contrast that they present is important to look at. Verse 14, James chapter three. But if you, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but it is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. That last part really scares me. I mean, if I were to say who wants to be confused and who wants um, every evil thing with them, I don't think any of you would raise your hand. So the motivation of worldly wisdom, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. So what's the motivation of worldly wisdom? Because we have bitter envy. We're envious of others. We're envious of people and positions and power. And we're self-seeking in our hearts. That's why we, re- we receive worldly wisdom. Bitter jealousy might be referred to jealousy that holds on to hard feelings. Right? It's someone who feels threatened by someone else's success. Able to talk with a pastor yesterday at the, the meeting, and I said, I'm not competing against you. If your church grows, I win. You want to know why? Because they preached Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected for the atonement of our sin. How do we define success here at Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship? It's not by the three B's. The bucks in the offering, the bricks on the building, and the butts in the seat. Triple B. 
We're, we're, we're not going to, we're not going to be a slave to that. Would I love to see every seat in here full? Yes. But before we build a big church, I hope that we can create big people. People who have God's heart, people who are surrendered, people who want to say yes, people who are going to look out for the orphans and the widows, people who are going to operate in godly wisdom, not earthly wisdom. Back to my story with Justin, there was this competitiveness, right? Self-seeking, the world revolving around me. And what does the scripture say was happening in my life then? Where bitter envy is, where there was self-seeking in my heart, um, there were evil things going on there, right? So a bitter, um, and bitter envy usually partners with self-seeking hearts. We see that. The heart of an unwise person carries um, a greedy hunger to push themselves to the top. And as we've talked about several times here is we have to notice where sin and bitterness starts. Do you know where it starts? In your heart. Matthew 15, 19. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. Your heart is the control center of your life. So the motivation of worldly wisdom comes from a heart that is not reined in. Therefore, if we are blessed with another day, we are to ask God to give us wisdom. We are to pick up our cross and deny ourselves and follow Jesus. If you can control everything in your life and you don't have God's wisdom, then I think you're lying to yourself. You might, be on, not, you might not be on the path that God has you on. I've said this before, it is such a blessing to live in deficit when it comes to things that I need because living, living in deficit requires me to ask God for wisdom. See, see, you know what the world does with deficit? Is the world looks at deficit as a bad thing of all these things that you need to fix and mature in and grow in. I see deficit as a blessing from God because it puts me on my knees and asking him to lead me. So look, our church right now, the global church, the American church, we're in a deficit. And that's a great place to be. I'll tell you what, if every seat was full in here and offering was $20,000 a week and you guys just worshiped me, I mean, that, that would be a problem. I mean, it would be. But if you just did that and, and you loved all the leadership and you trusted every one of them, what need of God would we have? We just got a well-oiled machine. But when there's deficit, at least within my heart, it causes me to cry out for God's wisdom from heaven. Now we must know that James wasn't just saying this as a hypothetical situation. He was saying it because this was going on with believers, right? Bitter envy was going on with believers. Self-centeredness and self-seeking was going on within believers. And remember, the reason why he's sharing this scripture with us is because he wants to allow us to self-evaluate. Let's move on. The characteristics of worldly wisdom. This wisdom does not descend from above, but it's earthly, it's sensual, and it's demonic. Let me put it in easier terms. Wisdom that does not come from above is counterfeit wisdom. It's fake wisdom. Let me make it a little bit clearer. Wisdom that doesn't come from above isn't wisdom. Worldly wisdom is not wisdom at all. 
And if we have a generate and we have a generation that hardly considers that they are following the wisdom of the world. We have a generation that hardly considers that they're living in counterfeit wisdom. You want to know why? Because they're so deceived because of the wisdom that they continually receive. And we don't have people who are bold enough, who will stand up at work, who will stand up within their homes, who will stand up at church or the school, within their peer groups. We don't have people who are willing to stand up and say, this is the truth. They just continually entertain that worldly wisdom and say, it's not the... We long play every Christian, or we long play everyone we're trying to convert to a Christian, right? We long play them. We say, you know what? I'm just going to wait for the right moment. I'm just going to wait for the right moment to speak, speak truth. I'm going to wait for the right moment to speak truth. I'm just going to build a relationship with them in rapport. And 30 years go by, and Jesus Christ and heaven and hell has never been brought up because we felt like we were following the wisdom of God by long playing everything. Anyone ever long played a Christian? Me too. But when you look at the idea of Scripture, what does it say? The kingdom of God is near. I don't see within that Scripture, within Scriptures of the urgency of giving your life to Christ, where, where Jesus is saying, just long play everyone. So we receive the wisdom of the world, and we continually be um, deceived by it. The world's wisdom is motivated by pride, selfish ambition, arrogance, self-centeredness, self-interest, self-promotion. The world's wisdom is all about self. It's all about you, and it's all about me. And one of the things I love about marriage is I just realize how the world still revolves around me and I have to get rid of that. See, because of Macy's patience and love and commitment, then what that means for me is I'm growing in understanding how selfish I am and how I need to let go of that to God. And as I let go of it to God, then Macy receives a reward for that. She receives the benefits of my relationship with Christ into a better relationship. But the world typically revolves around us. And James is urging us to look at that. Look at where we have the world's wisdom within our life. I mean, I hear it all the time in this culture. YOLO, right? Any of you guys know what YOLO means? Anyone over 40 know what YOLO means? Just raise your hand. All right, anyone over 50? 60? You're like, all right. Well, I'm going to explain to you guys. YOLO. Y-O-L-O. -O. I was hoping I didn't spell it wrong. <laughs> Look, I would. You know I would. You're just lucky I'm saying it right. Just be grateful. YOLO. You only live once. Now, that can be godly wisdom. You do only live once. But the perspective of the world is you only live once as party it up. Live it hard. Fast cars, women, and all those other things, right? We hear, I gotta, I gotta learn to love myself before I can love others. We hear that all the time. Commercials telling us to have it our way. Um, here's a quote from Tina Fey. Do your thing and don't care if they like it. See, that if that were godly wisdom, it makes sense. But this is the world's wisdom. See, I would tell you, live for Christ and don't care what other people think. But what Tina's telling us is to live as we want. Um, Charles Bokowski, if, uh, if you have the ability to love, love yourself first. And I know probably even some of us in this room feel like this is good information. Why are you bashing it? I'm going to get there. If you don't love yourself, nobody will. 
Not only that, you won't be good at loving anyone else. Love starts with loving self. Wayne Dyer. Katrina Meyer. Loving yourself isn't vanity, it's sanity. And you say, well, Joey, why aren't those things right? Why shouldn't I love myself? Why is that worldly wisdom? Here's why. I've never seen Jesus say that. Can't find it in the scriptures. I never saw Jesus in red letters say, I must love thyself. So why do we have a generation pursuing worldly wisdom that talks about loving thyself? Because the enemy wants us to live by the world's wisdom and be destroyed and confused for the rest of our life. That's all you see mostly on Facebook. That's the kind of preaching that, that, that this generation is running to is self-help all about you rather than about accountability, repentance, and turning to Christ. It's all self-help. I don't see Jesus say it. It was the joy that was set before him. It was because he desired that no one should perish not because he learned to love himself well. It wasn't it. If he, loved, if he loved himself first, he wouldn't have died on the cross for you and I. Period. So when you start hearing people say, love yourself first, I think it's anti-biblical and I think it's worldly wisdom. What I think needs to happen is surrender your life to Christ, confess to God your sins, and confess to others what's going on in your life and you will be healed. And then the world looks different. This type of worldly wisdom infiltrates every aspect of life such as philosophy, education, politics, economics, sociology, psychology, sports, art, music, the list goes on, our school systems. How about this? It even leaks into the church. Worldly wisdom. There's worldly wisdom in this church today. There's worldly wisdom in churches around the world. Churches run with worldly management styles. Evangelism gets watered down to err on the side of not offending someone by, by the honest truths of Scripture. Churches use secular music as a way to worship God. Churches misuse Scriptures to be inclusive. Heaven is available for everyone, but heaven is extremely exclusive. Exclusive to those that are covered by the blood of Jesus. Right? God desires that no one should perish. But I see churches trying to be so inclusive that they're watering down what the scriptures really say. Churches worry about the size of the bricks, as I said earlier, the butts and the bucks, more than they do God inside of the members. Churches fill their personal time with secular events, never prioritizing the one true God. The question is, how do we get more people in the church than how do we grow the people who are already here? In here at Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship, our desire is to grow the people that we have here. To lead, equip, and send out these people. To grow you in a confidence to be hope-filled believers that are willing to walk out in boldness and further the kingdom. It's not, a, it's not about you just being here so that we feel like we're happy and we play church. Haven't we played church long enough? Like, haven't we missed out on the power of God long enough? Worldly wisdom has told us that we don't have time for church, 
Worldly wisdom has told us church is no benefit to us. Worldly wisdom told us we should just come here, sit, and then go home. Worldly wisdom tells us that we don't have time to serve the king. Doesn't it? Look, I'll be honest. If it wasn't for Macy yesterday, by 8 p.m., I was out. Man, I got the sermon I got to prepare for. I want to pray. And I'm like, Macy, you want to go? She said, no, I want to stay. Accountability. So we stayed until 10.30, talking and praying with people who lingered. And it was paramount and important to be there. See, worldly wisdom, I was trying to operate in worldly wisdom. My schedule, my timing, that, hey, you know what, I don't have time for this right now. I gotta go home, I gotta, and even worldly wisdom creeps in and, and, and tries to confuse you in biblical ways. I gotta prepare for the sermon. I gotta get ready for tomorrow. Now look, you better believe I was out by 12 no matter what. Because then it, nothing good happens after 12. So I was out. Jim Trestle said nothing good happens after 10. But Jim Trestle doesn't know everything. Worldly wisdom tries to steal from us. The list goes on of worldly wisdom trying to flood the church. So what is the result of worldly wisdom? Verse 16. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. The result of worldly wisdom is confusion and everything that is evil. Notice that James repeats two things. Earlier he said envy and self-seeking. So now what he's really saying is jealousy and selfishness. He's repeating those things again, so there's an importance there. These are examples of worldly wisdom that come out of our heart. And whenever we participate in them, it leads to confusion and everything evil. So what about those who are incessant about getting their way? There's usually pride in that. What about those who are unwilling to say I'm sorry? Unwilling to share? Unwilling to give? What about those who gossip? The list could go on. When we listen to worldly wisdom, every evil is there. And you know what happens? We then become confused. Maybe you can't keep focus at home. Maybe you don't have a good memory at home. Maybe you don't understand the scriptures well. Maybe you can't focus in church because you've been listening to the worldly wisdom all week. You've been on Facebook. You've been on this news site or that news site and you've been listening to the world all week. You've been re receiving the world's wisdom all week and then you say, I can't concentrate anymore. I can't focus anymore. I'm always so confused. James is telling us if you listen to the wisdom of the world, you will be confused. Have you ever heard um, someone say that um, sin makes you dumb? Anyone ever heard that? Sin makes you dumb? All right, well, sin makes you dumb. Has anyone ever heard the statement, sin makes you dumb? Yep. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Dave still hasn't. <laughs> yeah, Scott's gonna tell you later, Dave. Here's your scripture right here about sin making you dumb. When you receive the world's wisdom, what does it do to you? It confuses you, and every evil is there. See, I don't have time for the world's wisdom because I don't like being confused, and I don't like evil being in my presence. And it doesn't say some evil's there. It doesn't say this evil's there. It says 
every evil thing is there. That's kind of scary, isn't it? When we listen to worldly wisdom, every evil is there and we are confused. The more you sin, participate in worldly wisdom, the more confused you get. Or the more that sin makes you dumb. We have a generation confused about what life is, who they are, and why they exist. We have a generation confused about what gender they are. About what right marriage should look like. We have a generation that believes that aborting babies is okay. We have a generation who's willing to stand up for things, but yet not the death of children. We have a church who's silent in the sake of truth. Why? Because we're listening to the world's wisdom. Because we're confused. Worldly wisdom continually confuses us and it partners us with evil. Therefore, we should listen to the word and be willing to cut off, poke out, and get rid of anything that causes us to sin. Anything, right? But the world's wisdom keeps on telling you you need your phone. The world's wisdom keeps on telling you you need your computer. The world's wisdom keeps on telling you you need that affirmation from that group. You need the new shoes, you need the new house, you need the nicer car. The world's wisdom keeps on telling you that. Now, where else do we see this kind of wisdom? Nope, not there yet. We must be willing to cut off, poke out, and get rid of everything. Are you guys willing to do that today? There's things that you're pursuing in your life that the world tells you is okay but the Spirit of God is convicting you, but because everyone else is doing it, you feel like you're allowed to justify it. So what are the characteristics of godly wisdom? Verse 17, but the wisdom that is from above is pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So if we're going out to the streets or if we're having a worship night or if we're interacting with other believers within the church today, after church, when we interact with our family and our coworkers, how should we do it? When we present Jesus to them, how should we do it? What's God's wisdom for us? It's pure, it's peaceable. It's gentle, it's willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. That's the way that God wants us to interact with other believers and the world. We cannot confuse um, boldness or forcing our will on people as God's way. God has a bigger plan. God knows where that person's at. I had, um, when I was in Piqua, serving as the youth pastor there, after church one night, one of our partners in his 50s, um, he came up to me and he said, hey, um, this kid um, needs to give his life to Christ tonight. So he's sitting with him in one of the chairs and he said, this kid needs to give his life to Christ tonight. So I'm like, oh, okay. So I go up to him, and I'm talking to him. Let's just call him Adam for the sake of his name being Adam. I said, Adam, how are you? He said, good. You enjoy service? Yeah. And I asked him, so, so what's, what's this guy talking about? You want to give your life to Christ? And I started to sense this questioning within him that there was this pressure because the partner was being bullying the partner was being forceful, the partner was being somewhat manipulative. Now, in good reason, for a good cause, he wanted this person to be saved. So then, as the leader, as the shepherd, I had to make this decision. 
we have a member from the church who's been here a long time who says that this kid needs to come to Christ and if I tell him I'm not gonna do it tonight, what's he gonna think about me as a pastor who's unwilling to share the good news? Right? Because there are those expectations within the church where if, if you do something someone's way, man, they're gonna follow you to Hades. Snatch people out. But the moment you don't do something someone's way, then they're like, is he even over 30 yet? Come on now, look at the back of my head. <laughs> if that's not enough information for you. Can I really follow him? Or it brings up all the other doubts. So I had to stand there knowing that this guy might not like me anymore, might not follow me, might not trust me, might manipulate and say that I was unwilling to share the good news of Jesus. And I said this, not tonight, not gonna do it. Just go play basketball. I told the partner, tonight's not the night. He wanted me to be forceful. But I wanted to be gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, pure, so several months later, we had our student retreat, and um, we're having our night of worship. And as the worship's going on, I'm up there sharing, and um, this kid came up by his own choice, not even me giving an altar call or a response. He came up, and he said, Joey, I feel like I have to give my life to Jesus Christ tonight. So he took the microphone and he told it to everyone in the room, Jesus Christ is Lord over my life and I'm repenting of my sins. And then in that moment, all the kids were able to pray for him and he repented of lust and pornography and masturbation, getting mad at his parents, disobeying his parents. See, Sometimes, when we're so forceful and unwilling to yield, we're stepping on God's timeline. That doesn't mean long play it. Don't mix my words. It means that you continually pray for them and you focus on them, but you do it in such a manner that allows God to be the one producing the fruit, not you. So where else do we see these characteristics in the Bible that James is talking about? The Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. The, you gotta be pure, right? The pure in the heart are blessed for they will see God. Peaceful or loving. The peacemakers are blessed for they will be called the sons of God. Gentle or considerate. The gentle are blessed, for they will inherit the earth. Compliant or submissive, the poor in spirit are blessed, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Full of mercy, the merciful are blessed, for they will be shown mercy. Full of good fruit, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed, for they will be filled. Only God can give us this kind of wisdom. And to receive it, we must go to God in prayer. We must ask for it. You don't just receive that wisdom just by coming to church and listening to the leaders. How about what Pastor Stu said earlier? You seek it out and you put on the, the armor of Christ. You carry the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of, the, word of God, your only offensive weapon. But I really believe that to receive it, we must go to God in prayer, as a church, as a family, and as an individual. We must prioritize prayer. Prayer must be the norm. As a community, as a faith-based organization, we must pray together. Interesting illustration here, 1 Kings 3, seven through nine. Solomon's talking to God. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in a place of my father David. 
but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? You want to know what my prayer is each week? My prayer is not to fix the people at MCF. Maybe sometimes people think that that's the way I come across, I'm sorry. It's not fix the people at MCF or fix the world. My prayer is not only that you guys would encounter the living Christ, that you would walk in his presence, that you would know him personally, that you would repent of your sins, that you would be able to walk in the gifting. But my prayer is, God, just this wee little boy that people still see me as, this young lad, give me wisdom from heaven to lead the church. So when I come up here and it seems like I'm getting loud or bold, I believe and I hope because of my prayers that that boldness and sometimes that straightforward attitude comes from Christ. We must pray and ask God for wisdom in every situation. God is concerned with Christ-centered humility. Solomon presented that. What did he do? He talked to God, he was honest, was humble, asked for help, and finally acknowledged where the power came from. Godly wisdom comes when we are able to humble our hearts before God. Be honest, be humble, ask for help, and acknowledge that the power comes from him. Now we're wrapping up. I wanna finish with this scripture. Proverbs 2 I shared this last night, verses one through six. Prayer, we must pray, we must ask for it, we must seek it out. Many of us are not receiving wisdom because we are not seeking it out, we're not asking for it. We want it to be easy. The meeting that the elders had with our special guest yesterday, he called me after the meeting and um, asked how everything went, and here's what I told him. I said, it went great, but that was really convenient for us. We sat there, and we listened, and we heard, and we received it, really easy. I said, now the challenging part starts. Are we willing to live it out and continue to pursue it? That's the hard part. It's easy just to listen to a sermon, but the application. So I'm telling you that God wants to give you wisdom and you get really excited. And I'm telling you that. God wants to give you his wisdom. Today, God wants to give you wisdom about every situation in your life. Your car, your mortgage, your relationship with your spouse, your kids, your future. Today, God wants to give you wisdom. The problem is most of us just leave it there. That's all we say is we say, God, I want wisdom. And that's as we fall asleep going to bed, right? Or on commercial during sports radio. Hey, God, I, I want your wisdom. And then breaking news comes in. And now you're more interested in the breaking news than you are the wisdom of God. Anyone ever been there? So distracted. As I said uh, several weeks ago, it's been studied that humans have a shorter, not a shorter, but um, almost the attention span of a goldfish. You wanna know why? Because we spend too much time on our phones, too much time on the internet, and they've used that against us to change our attention spans, where now humans have an attention span of nine seconds. You ever notice that when you, happens to me all the time and I hate it, I walk to the pantry, I'm cooking, and I'm listening to something, I'm, I'm dicing up potatoes or something. I walk to the pantry, two seconds away, I start looking and I'm like, I guess I go back to cutting. 
Now look, this bald spot right here doesn't say I should be there yet. Right? It's not a full crown. My attention span, because the wisdom that I've received is not where it should be. And sometimes in our prayers, what ends up happening is, is we pray, and then the enemy uses that against us, and then we forget what we're even praying about because we're so focused on, on getting that endorphin rush through a cat video or through a dog video or, 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 or through uh, sports radio. We want that instant gratification of fulfillment. Number one, we have to wean ourselves off that. But we're not desperate for it. We're not hungry for the wisdom of God. Even, I said this last night with someone, is you're only as serious about the problem in your life as you are praying about it. Period. Don't tell me you're serious about receiving the wisdom of God if all you're going to do is say, God, I want your wisdom and leave it alone. The scripture tells us how we should pray and how we should seek after the wisdom of God in our situations. Verse one, Proverbs two. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as if, um, if you look for it as for silver and search for it as it were a hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth and knowledge and understanding. Do you want knowledge and understanding today? Don't just tell me you do. The church for the past many years is saying they want knowledge and wisdom, but few people within the church have sought it out as if it's a treasure. The answer in your life is not praying the, the token prayer of God give me wisdom. The answer in your life is given when you hunger and thirst and search for that treasure. See, if I told you out there at the crosses, you have to dig 50 feet deep to find God's wisdom, I think some of y'all would go home. I'll get God's wisdom somewhere else, right? And then the enemy will lie to you and you'll lie to yourself with the world's wisdom. I can get God's wisdom at home, I can get this. Well, if I told you that there was a um, hundred billion dollars below those crosses, you would hunger and you would thirst after it and you would go get it, right? Now, Jeff Bezos, um, Amazon's owner, a grain of rice, um, as an illustration, a grain of rice represents a hundred thousand dollars, right? One grain, Jeff Bezos has 53 pounds and that's how much money he has. 53 pounds of rice. So you telling me if Jeff Bezos' money, 53 pounds of rice was out there 100 feet underneath the cross, that we would not come up with a plan to go get it. We would. Who's with me? And you know what we would say? Here's what we would say. As a church, here's why we would, here's why we would come up with a rationale. Think of all the orphanages, and think of all the orphans, and think about all the widows, and think about, think about the carpet that could be clean, free of coffee spills and vomit. Does the church smell like must? We could redo it in, in, in our live streaming. We could become a worldwide ministry, right? We could all have customizable masks and cute little t-shirts that we could wear together out in public. And the sound system. See, there, there's people who have nice sound systems, then there's people who have money to buy anointed sound systems. We could, we, we could buy an anointed sound system. See, our hearts would lie to us. 
even in the way that we're laughing about it right now, is a lie within our own heart. Here's why. We believe, we believe that if we, if we had the tangible money, the tangible money means, um, I'm gonna try to say this. Basically what we're saying is, the tangible money, we trust the tangible money more than we trust God providing for us. See, if you're hungry and thirsty after helping the orphans and the widows and getting an anointed sound system and changing the carpet, then you're gonna be on your knees praying and fasting and seeking God, right? The fact of the matter is, is most of us trust money and our resources and the wisdom of the world that more than we do prayer. Because many of us say, I prayed for 30 seconds today or I prayed for five seconds today or five seconds or five minutes or 10 minutes and God didn't answer. And I would just say, he didn't answer in your timing or the prayer that you were praying was not aligned with his heart. We are to hunger and thirst and seek after God's wisdom in prayer. We are to call out for insight Cry aloud for understanding and seek for the things of God as if it were a hidden treasure. Then we will understand, we will fear, and we will find the knowledge of God. Amen? If you want heavenly wisdom, let your actions show it in prayer. I want to ask you this. What's the biggest treasure you sought out this week? Was it school? Was it fixing something at your house? Was it sports, cars, vacation, something in politics? And I'm gonna say it. If you're watching the news and then sharing God's wisdom from the news based upon what you heard, that's not godly wisdom. You're missing it. God's wisdom is in seeking and listening to him. So if you're using the news to present God's wisdom, I don't want to hear it. That's not it. God's wisdom comes from him. Amen? God's wisdom is in seeking him and listening to him. Seeking him like lost treasure isn't watching the news all day, then giving God five minutes and assuming you have the right answers. You hear that? Feel that a little bit. Seeking God's wisdom is not getting on Facebook and seeing every rumor, every conspiracy, every truth all day and then giving God five minutes. I don't care which news source you watch. If you're giving that news source more time than you're giving God, you're missing it. Heavenly wisdom comes when you sit down, provide yourself some space, and you pray. And James is giving us a self-evaluation in the scripture to say, are you pursuing worldly wisdom or are you pursuing godly wisdom? And if you're telling me you're not in the presence of God in these areas, then I'm telling you you're deceived by the world's wisdom. We have to seek him as if we're hunting for treasure. We must ask God for his wisdom because we become like the God we worship. All the fear in the church right now, not only this church, but around the world, the fear, you become like the God that you worship. And we have a generation of people who are worshiping the news and the fear mongering by the media. I will not fear. I will choose to trust God and believe in him. Now, sometimes there's ungodly wisdom in a false, in a false um, um, confidence. There's still wisdom from heaven that says, don't walk into a gunfight with your fists. Or just don't walk into a gunfight. Nevertheless, you become like the God you worship. 
So I want to provide you an opportunity to search out some treasure today. Let's close our eyes. What I want to do is provide you an opportunity because there's many areas in your life that you're struggling. I'm going to provide you an opportunity to ask God for wisdom. Even if it's just wisdom for how you spend the rest of your day. Um, God's put it on my heart to invite people to the altar. Um, during this season, I think it's about humility and breaking down worry. But I want to provide you a space. Um, and the rest of you will be dismissed. But I want to provide you space to come up to the altar and ask God for wisdom in certain areas in your life. Just have that conversation with him. You can do it with couples, uh, spouses, individually, whatever it is. Come up and ask God for wisdom in your life. I'm gonna pray, and then I'm gonna provide you guys that space. If you guys would just give us some light music up there, and um, the rest of you will be dismissed, and uh, we look forward to seeing you guys next week. So Father, We need your wisdom. What a trying time we have as a nation. And um, health situations in people's lives. We need your wisdom. Help us know what to do as a church, as believers. Give us your wisdom, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.